Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 317, and today's guest is Dion Nicholas, CEO and co-founder of Forethought. I was at a couple of networking events the other week, and let's just say the word AI was brought up many, 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 many times. Yes, we are in a major shift in terms of a tech platform, but doesn't it feel like some companies are just forcing AI into their business model or solution versus an organic solution? Well, this is not the case for Forethought, where AI has been core to their platform since the beginning. Forethought is a leading generative AI company providing customer service solutions that transform their customer experience. The company has raised over $92 million in venture capital funding from top investors. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics like a discussion around AI and how it should be organically applied to a business and not forced, Dion's background story, including how he got involved in AI back in high school and getting his career started at Dropbox and Pure Storage, the background story of Forethought and how they ended up pitching at and winning TechCrunch Disrupt, how Forethought is disrupting the customer service industry and why AI as a solution makes a world of sense, the current state of the company and future outlook, the importance of storytelling for raising capital, hiring, sales, etc., and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Is your company hiring? If the answer is yes, then you might want to add a VentureFizz subscription. It is our employment branding and hiring solution that helps to keep your company top of mind for our targeted audience of professionals in the tech industry. A VentureFizz subscription includes an employment branding page, unlimited postings to our job board, access to all of our exclusive content series, and so much more. Send an email to info at VentureFizz.com for all the details. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Dion. Dion, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Keith. I'm excited to talk to you because you're building a company that is in the perfect use case of this AI wave, and your company's been using AI for a while, and we're going to talk all about forethought. But before we get into that, um, I was at a couple networking events last week, and the, the word AI was used just a few times. So every entrepreneur is probably thinking or beating themselves up, like, what what is my AI strategy? If I don't have one, I'm going to look like I am out of place, or I'm not my, my business is not disruptive enough or whatever the case may be. So sometimes when there's a wave of technology like this, it can almost seem like it's forced. Like AI is not a solution for everything. It certainly is going to have tons of use cases and it is going to be, you know, generation defining tech. Oh yeah. But what advice would you have for founders that are in this paradigm where they feel almost like pressured to have some type of AI strategy yet it's probably forced. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. I mean, you know, things happen in hype cycles, right? We saw the same with crypto. Everyone's like, all right, let's let's do crypto. Um, but the way I think about it actually from first principles and honestly why I started an AI company almost six years ago now is that AI is a tool like any other tool. You can almost think about it like a, a new form of programming language, right? Like, you know, when, when Python was launched or you can think of it as, a, as this new platform like mobile or the cloud. And I actually think there's actually a lot of parallels with the cloud with, you know, what AWS and Azure are doing and stuff like that. And so if you think about these in, in terms of analogies, right? Like when, when mobile came out or when the cloud came out, people weren't thinking, oh my gosh, I need to go start a cloud company. And that's the, the basis of my business model. You're not going to get funding just for being in the cloud or being SaaS. 
But at the same time, it does open up new business models, right? It does open up new opportunities. And so fundamentally, I think uh, people should be doing two things. One, trying the technology out, playing with it, right? Like getting on, whether it's, you know, OpenAI's playground, starting to think about what's possible because the tools are different. Using natural language as your paradigm, as your programming language is very different with these large language models. And it does open up new um, uh, opportunities. But then the second thing I would say is actually just think about things like you would from first principles, like it was just any other SaaS business. Like what's the key problem that you are uniquely suited to solve in the world? And it turns out that about 80% of our communication is through language. So you're going to find an AI use case. You don't necessarily need to force it. I think if you start from, hey, I want to start with an AI company. Uh, what am I going to do? You're going to probably miss uh, miss the boat. But if you start like, hey, what's this problem I'm facing every day? Oh, you know, I, I, I am, I'm a waiter. And it turns out it's really hard to, you know, figure out tips. Like there's there's a problem there to be solved, right? And and then bring AI in like you would bring in any other tool, and you'll you'll actually um, end up with a much better business because it starts from the customer problem. So those are that's how I would actually say it. It's probably a you know a boring response in 2023, but that's what I would focus on. Well, the second one I, I was kind of laughing too because I just I, I have this vision in my head that B school students are sitting around a table conference room like all right, how are we going to use this AI thing and what business are we going to disrupt, right? Versus having that uniquely qualified background to go tackle a problem that you're passionate about. Oh, and AI can be part of the solution. So anyways. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's rewind the clock. So where'd you grow up? What were you like as a child? Oh, thank you. Yeah, so, um, and yeah, and this all, you know, goes into why I eventually started Fourth Thought anyway, but I grew up in Toronto. So grew up in the inner city. Um, my parents were immigrants from the Caribbean. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, my dad is a mechanic. And so he's always been like tinkering, building things in terms of, I mean, you know, cars and bikes for actual work, but like computers and stuff for fun. And so growing up, we were, we had, you know, computers, we had games. We were always like, you know, in, interested in technology, me and my brothers. And so I was just on the computer for a young, from a young age and just really fascinated with how everything worked. I guess I inherited that tinkerer's gene <laughs> from my from my dad, but um, started to you know figure out how do the, how do these video games work that we're playing? You know uh, how how does it work under the hood? And that led me to coding. That led me to technology. Um, and then eventually um, in high school, had the uh, honestly just luck to intern at um, this AI lab in, in Edmonton, Alberta, so other side of Canada, uh, the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute, AMI, they're called. And that's where I actually started learning about AI for the first time. So imagine like being- and This is know, in high school. This is literally in high school. Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah, I was because I was super fascinated with technology, super fascinated with computers. And I luckily heard about this random um, internship they were offering. It was like a paid internship for high school kids to come hang out with AI people and, you know, write code and, and I don't know, like, you know, get coffees. But, <laughs> but that being said, it was really cool. And so I got, um, since high school, got exposed to a lot of the, you know, technologies that nowadays are like kind of the, the cutting edge. At the time, it was all just research projects. Um, but that really kicked off, you know, my initial focus on AI and I, I went down this rabbit hole and I was like, hey, you know, what are some problems you can you can apply this to? And for me, obviously being in school at the time, I was like, can I use AI to help me study <laughs> or answer my questions? Like I was really bad at history. Um, and so I was like, could something help me answer questions like about the French Revolution or whatever? 
And, um, and that was it. I honestly like, you know, the rest is kind of history. I mean, we can talk more about it, but the, this concept of can AI help you answer questions was like something that stuck with me for, for many, many, many years, um, which was this, like this thread that I kept pulling on later in university and um, eventually starting forethought, applying this question answering technology to customers. Right. And so anyway, that's, that's kind of like a little bit, a little bit of uh, how I got started. And so then you went on and you studied at University of Waterloo, which is a great, great school. How did you get your career started? Yeah. So um, as mentioned, right, so grew up in inner city originally, um, didn't really know anything about college or university, but because I was like super fascinated with technology and, and all that stuff, um, I I was doing like hackathons and these like, you know, uh, programming competitions and a lot of them were hosted by the University of Waterloo or sponsored by the University of Waterloo. So like before I even knew really what university was, I was just like super fascinated with the school and it became like my dream school to go there one day, one day. And so eventually did, you know, ended up getting good grades and was fortunate to get in. Um, and um, so went to school um, in Waterloo and uh, little known secret, like it's like a, it's like a, like a, one of those weird open secrets about Silicon Valley is that like Waterloo just ships a ton of technical talent to Silicon Valley, right? And you know, I'm I'm here going to the school. I don't even really know what Silicon Valley is. I thought it was like a physical bowl with Microsoft sitting in the middle. <laughs> like that was like my my image of Silicon Valley. But I'm surrounded by all of these really talented um, engineering students and you know friends in my class and others. And, and there's this really strong co-op program. So, you know, um, tech companies are recruiting on campus. Um, a lot of uh, their students are applying to these, you know, big companies. And I'm like, oh, you can do that. And so had a little bit of imposter syndrome, but seeing my friends all applying to tech companies, I was like, okay, maybe that's cool. And some of my friends like nudged me. They're like, Dion, like just, just apply. And so applied to a lot of, lot of, lot of different places, but eventually um, luckily ended up landing an internship um, at Facebook in Menlo Park, um, which uh, to say the least, I was like ecstatic. <laughs> um, but that kicked off my, my uh, you know, Silicon Valley um, career because I ended up interning there for a summer, living in Mountain View, working in Menlo Park, getting to know the, the Bay Area. Um, the following summer, um, I ended up interning at Palantir, uh, the, the big data company, Palo Alto. And so I just kept coming back to the Bay Area and really just starting to build a network here. Um, and learning more about you know, actually building technology in the real world. Um, so eventually graduated, um, ended up becoming a software engineer. I worked at Dropbox for a while and then Pure Storage. Um, and meanwhile, as as uh, as tinkerers do, I'm continuing to, on the side, learn about AI and natural language processing and things like that, because it was just like a passion project of mine since you know the, the high school days. Um, and so, you know, I, I was taking, I took AI courses at Waterloo, I actually published some papers on AI uh, with, uh, with some folks um, while I was at Waterloo with some folks who were at Amy, who I had previously interned with. So, you know, had a, it was interesting, um, but studied a lot of that. And then I was taking a bunch of online Coursera courses on natural language understanding when Coursera became a huge thing. And I think it was around what, 2014, 2015. 
Um, and so, you know, took Chris Manning's online course and all that. So this whole time I'm like, you know, just trying to navigate my career, but also at the same time, this, you know, builder's itch never leaves me. And so I'm learning about natural language processing, learning about this question answering problem that again, the technology back then was crap, but I was like, you know, it's getting better every year, <laughs> every year, um, until eventually it was like late 2017 when um there i started to realize like oh this might this might be possible now to to you know build ai for question answering specifically for customers and so um eventually you know left my job and decided to really explore it fully and what did you like at what point did you think about like hey i i want to start a company was that something you were always thinking about like that was kind of like a, a goal of yours it's a great question. So weirdly enough, I think I was always entrepreneurial, but I didn't know what entrepreneurship was, if that makes sense. Right. And so because like, you know, even just all of this, hey, when I have an idea or, or curiosity, I'm going to go figure out how to build something for it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm learning about this AI stuff and how to apply it to problems. I'm, um, you know, building side hustle, side apps in in, in school. Um this is all like a form of entrepreneurship, but like, I didn't even like realize it. Right. Cause entrepreneurship at the end of the day, is like, do you see a problem? Do you have an idea for a solution and can you go and make it exist in the world? Right. Um, and that's, that's the end of the day. What is entrepreneurship? And obviously you do it as a team and, and, um, with a big company eventually. But, um, so no, I, I didn't really know that I was going to start a company, but I was always building, I was always tinkering. And it was um, at some point, I guess, yeah, 2017, when um, I was, you know, building apps, uh, I had built a bunch of stuff, some AI ideas, my, you know, I had built like an AI powered personal tutor, because <laughs> I was thinking about the education I, uh, concept, I had, you know, because of my experience at Facebook, I had built um, something completely unrelated, like a video version of Instagram, which I guess you can say was like an early TikTok, like all these little things I was I was constantly building. And and um, eventually I started sharing more of my ideas with folks in the entrepreneurship community. So ended up connecting with entrepreneurs in the Bay Area, ended up meeting like, for example, like a partner at Y Combinator and, and sharing some ideas and some of my enthusiasm. And so more and more of these people were like, Dion, are you going to start a company around this? Right? <laughs> like, like, are you going to go raise money? And I was like, wait, how do you, like, you can do that? Like, what is, what is this whole thing? Um, and so I think by, by like osmosis, I started getting into the entrepreneurship world. Um, and, and yeah. And then, so then at some point the, the switch flipped and I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to start a company. Like I can do that. Like, this is something that is possible. Um, and then the question became what? So then I spent like a few months just kind of like thinking about what is the core problem? What's that one nagging problem that's never left me? And uh, and it always came back to AI question answering. Um, and as I had, you know, built more and kind of built more of a career in the world, realizing throughout my um, experiences at all these companies that customer question answering was going to be like the most important industry you could apply it to. Um, and so I kind of got lucky in that, you know, the technology I was passionate about getting plugged into the entrepreneurship world and then recognizing kind of customer support and customer services, like that is going to be the first place where this, um, you know, this technology can, can be applied. And so, yeah, I guess it was a convergence of a lot of things, but then I eventually got the conviction in myself, in the idea and in the timing to go and launch, uh, what became forethought. And, and how did you meet your co-founder? Yeah, so my co-founder Sammy Ghosh um, is our CTO. We actually met as interns at Palantir. So my my that second summer when I was back in the Bay Area, 
um, working on uh, data products for Palantir, Sammy and I, um, we we stayed in the same kind of like intern housing area. Um, so uh, we bonded over AI because we both were like interested in it as like a kind of a side hustle, so to speak, and basketball. Um, if you ever talk to Sammy, he's a huge uh, Kobe Bryant fan. Uh, so we would we would shoot hoops, hang out, but also just like bounce um product ideas off each other because like we both kind of had that like entrepreneurial kind of energy um so met him um we both kind of went our separate ways over the the subsequent call it you know four or so years before eventually reconverging when when starting forethought i started like i started first um he was uh working at uh linkedin and then eventually kind of uh, pulled him out, so to speak, to to start the to start the company with me. So that's been fun. And he's just like the probably one of, like he's he might actually be the smartest person I know. Um, I probably shouldn't say that on a podcast. It'll go to his head, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, so it's been uh, it's been a great journey and, uh, you know, many more years to come. All right. So oftentimes companies come out with an idea and there's an evolution to eventually what it ends up becoming. So you painted a, an idea that this is, you know, the original idea is pretty core to what it is today, or did it go through lots of evolution to where it is today? That's a great question. I think it's evolved and yes and no, like in so many ways. So there's always the, the kernel uh, of a few things, right? Um, in the early days, um, I would say we were probably more broad uh, and then we focused in. And then over time, actually, we're 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 gonna achieve the same vision anyway, um, to to say the least. So, like, what I mean by that was we always came from this focus of look, the data is going to be key, AI is going to be key, um, and and question answering is going to be key. Um, we knew like long long term that we we're going to apply this to kind of every single customer use case. So, customer service, eventually, like marketing. Um, sales, like there are all these different customer touch points where having this AI powered agent um, can actually generate uh, value, right? And so that's kind of a broad <laughs> like use case, right? And uh, we we knew we wanted to start in customer service first, but like there's always this vision of like, once you have this data platform, and once you have the AI and the model, it's actually not that big of a, a leap to then go and build for these other use cases. And, and even today, we actually still pitch that, like, for example, when we're fundraising, um, because like Salesforce, for example, is a perfect example of this. They started with Sales Cloud, which was like a you know a system of record for salespeople. Now eventually they launched Service Cloud, which is now an even bigger billion dollar business, Marketing Cloud, and so on. So they have these different like clouds for uh, the different use cases. And we we think of ourselves as like eventually we're going to be the AI for each of these use cases, right? Like kind of the the next generation Salesforce, so to speak. Um, and so when we actually started, though, when we first built, we started by building out the, the AI and the platform. And while customer service was a use case, we were expecting it'd be like one of many, right? And then you realize that like you got to go extremely deep and understand and know your customer, obsess over your customer in a single vertical before you can build the platform. Um, and like each of those is going to be billion dollar businesses in some way, right? And so I think we 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 sharpened focus, I would say, after that first year um, and then have gone really, really deep. And we've actually said no to like a lot of use cases where our customers are coming to us and maybe their support team is using Forethought and they're like, hey, can our marketing team use this? It's so obvious we can use this here. And we're like, we'll get there, we'll get there. 
Don't worry. But um, being able to focus has been, I think, the the key. So I wouldn't say pivots, but a lot of just like, you know, redirection, redirecting of energy, so to speak. Because, uh, I mean, to solve the problem you're solving, like you said, it could be a standalone multi-billion dollar business. It's it's a difficult problem because self-service isn't new, right? There's chatbots, but they're not really that sophisticated and the user experience isn't always that great it's just a decision tree right where it's like exactly route someone down a path of yeah it's basically like it's like um the best analogy is actually over phone because everyone gets it when they're like press one for billing press two for support okay great press three like that's that's what chatbots are in digital form except you don't have just nine buttons you have text but like that's it, and, and and people have been calling that AI for years, right? And like for a long time, that was like that was AI, but it's literally just a decision tree. Like you know, a high schooler could go this, like, right. um, and and that was actually um, super interesting when we were fundraising for our seed round because a lot of people were like, hey, why are you building this? Like, don't chatbots already exist? And it was actually really hard to articulate, like, no, but those are just decision trees like AI has not even cracked the surface here and you could actually get a ton of alpha by applying this new technology which we were calling natural language understanding and natural language generation at the time because you can have AI that can learn from data it can be a little bit more natural it can figure things out it can answer questions and you don't have to hard code any of these like these are actually completely different paradigms and it took like so many iterations of just me figuring out how to pitch this to explain that to to VCs um, early customers got it, uh, because we actually had, um, a demo that showed like, Hey, give us one of your, even one of your help center articles. And within an instant, this AI is going to be able to respond to questions based on it. Like, like a, like a real human, um, way more rudimentary than what GPT is today. But like, those were the initial kernels. So customers got it, investors didn't. So it was like this interesting mishmash and we eventually decided, you know what, the customer's right. If the problem hasn't been solved yet, we're going in. And that was literally like what gave us conviction to like keep building. And then eventually we did raise money and all of that. But um, yeah, that's something to keep in mind. And one thing that I thought was awesome because I got to watch the video was you were selected to to pitch at TechCrunch Disrupt and you guys won. And this was 2018. So how did you even get like that opportunity to pitch? And then what, what was that experience like? Oh, that was honestly so focusing, so much fun and just gratifying in so many different ways. Um, so uh, we applied um, to TechCrunch Disrupt originally. Um, what's helpful is when you have like, we had already raised money. So we had already raised like a, a seed round, um, from canine ventures, village global, um, and a bunch of, um, strong angels. And it, and I think that helped in our application because they, they could see, you know, who are your investors? Oh, like we respect these investors and stuff like that. So having the, um, having a little bit of that credibility early on was, I honestly think that was what got us into TechCrunch Disrupt. I mean, and of course our great vision and, you know, the, the I hear the CEO of Forethought's a great guy, but like, you know, <laughs> just the, 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 that was probably what got us um, over the edge. And then once we got in though, it was such a cool experience because, well, it was, it was like this interesting duality because we knew we had gotten in. So this was like May of 2018. I still remember these like dates, but it was like May of 2018 when we learned we had gotten into TechCrunch Disrupt and that we were going to launch in that September. So I don't know, a few, four months later, whatever, five months later. And, um, but we knew like we were so early at that time, like we barely had a product. I think we had like one pilot customer up and running at the time. 
we were still figuring out the models and then what the user interface would be like everything was really nebulous despite getting into TechCrunch Disrupt. And it's fine because Disrupt is supposed to be your launch day. So you should have something, it's kind of like, you know, a YC demo day type thing. You should have something ready to launch at that point. Um, and we were super excited, but um, I ended up telling the team like, hey, so we're going to go launch a Disrupt. It's going to be a ton of vanity, but we shouldn't drink our own Kool-Aid, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Like we're going to get all this press, but the only thing that matters is, are we delivering value to our customers? And so we, we, we told ourselves, we're not going to get up on stage and launch unless we have five pilot customers that we can put their logo on the slide. That was like the one slide we wanted to build everything around because that was like the only thing that mattered. And so um, meanwhile, you know, I'm, I'm practicing the pitch and all of that. We're building it. It's this cool experience. They, they pair you with like a, a pitch coach who teaches you how to like hone your story and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm doing all that. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, cool. Ignore the vanity for a second, five customers. And so between that period, between May and September, our whole goal, like, and we would put it on a board, you know, send monthly reports to our investors, how many pilot customers do we have? And that that was such a forcing function because it forced us to focus, right? Okay, instead of being this broad thing, let's focus on the key core initial use case, which was our um, assist product at the time, um, which was our AI for agent assist. Um, and it focused uh, focused us on like getting out of the room instead of just being, you know, researcher product types, but focusing on like, how do you actually talk to customers, learn about their use case and get them to pay you for something? Because <laughs> all of our pilots were paid pilots too. So it was like, those were the goals. And so we we're just like, can we get people to pay us for this? Can we build a product that delivers some value? And so we did that. We hunkered down. We asked all of our investors, hey, can referrals to customers, this or that, anything we could we ended up launching and that slide had seven logos on it. And so I was so proud of just like being able to like get that milestone and then that focus for the team, plus being able to knock out this vision pitch of like, hey, AI is going to be the future. If you can take the data, embed it into this workflow, first customer service, and then eventually beyond, there is something big here. And so like the combination of that made us look like way uh I guess further ahead <laughs> than most many of the other companies that were launching, way more buttoned up. Um, and then there's also Q and A and everything. And Sammy and I had like, you know, just just uh, went back and forth and, and and prepped for that. And so like it felt like this really momentous moment of just sheer preparation. Um, and then it and then it was it went really well. We were fortunate enough to win. And then very shortly after that, you know, Silicon Valley investors came came knocking on our door, and we ended up raising a Series A. So it's 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 really cool. But I think the, the those underlying lessons are actually the more important part. All right. So let's fast forward to today. So was it one year ago, just about when ChatGPT launched? Right. So that was about a year ago. So like. What did that moment mean for the industry and your business? Because I'm sure you were obviously successful as a company, you had great technology, but all of a sudden chat GPT surfaces and the whole world is just like, what is, is this and what is going on? <laughs> yeah. AI is here. Right. Um, let's see. So I would say three things um, simultaneously, some good, some bad, all happened at once. Um, so for context, we've been leveraging a combination of our own models as well as like we we leveraged GPT-2 since 2019 right and so you know internally this felt like another 
um, next increment, uh, next increment uh, of the technology. And we've been seeing like every single year since 2017, there was actually a, a subtle breakthrough in technology, right? Like the transformers were announced uh, by Google and then BERT, which became this like really powerful transformer model that could, you know, achieve roughly human level cognition, not on generative stuff, but on um, on um, analytical stuff. And then, you know, GPT-1, GPT-2, so on and so forth. So uh, a few things happened all at once, which was the first was that um, suddenly the demand went through the roof, right? Like everyone and their cat was like, I need AI <laughs> right now. And everything shifted from us having to like bang down people's doors to explain, hey, here's why what you were using before wasn't AI. This is actual AI. To them being like, oh, everything we were using before wasn't AI. We need, we need it now, <laughs> you know. Um, so that was interesting. Like in our pipeline from a sales metrics, like everything shot through the roof. And the second thing that happened was that we were we were finally able to solve a few product problems that we had been researching for for a long time. Um, like you know, a lot of things. For example, uh, one of our products is triage, right? It's uh, you you take in all the data and then you're able to route tickets to the right agent in the right channel. That takes a ton of data, right? And which is good, which is super powerful. But with LLMs, by being able to plop in a GPT-4, you can literally ask an LLM, how would you route this? And that like randomly shot up the, the, the accuracy and effectiveness of our own triage model by combining both the um, machine learning approach with the LLM approach, which then suddenly meant much faster deployment times, much higher accuracy, and uh, and the rest is history, right? And this this happened at like various parts of our stack. So on the one hand, demand shot up. On the other hand, we're like, hey, these sub problems can actually be solved really well now with GPT-4. So we threw away anything in our stack that we were like doing that that was worse than GPT-4. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff like retrieval and stuff like that that you still need your own stack for. But we were absolutely unapologetic about um, using the latest stuff. It took us a couple. Um, you know, a couple iterations to get there. Cause at first our engineering team was like, ah, oh, the guys, this isn't new. We've been using some form of GPT for a few years, but it's like, you know what? It's pretty powerful. And so we had to like get over that, um, that, um, that mindset. Um, and then the last thing that happened, which I think is actually um, hard for us um, is that competition has risen though. So that's the thing. So demand's risen, our product's gotten better, but there are now a ton of GPT bolt-ons who are like, hey, we've just heard about this Gen AI thing. Let's do Gen AI for customer support. So there's definitely a ton of uh, ankle biters, so to speak, um, in the space. And so I think net, it's better for um, consumers. It's better for us in the sense that like it forces us to, it forces us to be the best version of ourselves we can be. Like that's, you know, it's capitalism in a nutshell. It's like you go and compete. Um, but it's been a very interesting year to say the least. So, so what's the state of the state, like the current, you know, stage of the company? Like I, from what I gathered, you're, you know, raised the series C round back in 2021, like size of the team, uh, you know, growth plans yeah. ahead. Yeah. So um, yeah, we raised a series C round back in 2021. We're um, sitting at around 75 people today. Um, and yeah, we have customers uh, across many industries, a lot of software, e-commerce, fintech. We process over 100 million inquiries a year um, as of right now. Um, and we power support for leading organizations that are changing the world. Everyone from Asana to Lime to Marriott um, to many, many others. Um, and so it's kind of exciting to kind of see that that journey, right? We go from trying to find our 
first five pilot customers to now being able to support some of the organizations that are changing the world. Um, like, like many companies, I think we, in the early days, we were very like growth at all costs. And over the last year and a half, we've, we've definitely shifted to focusing on how do you grow in a way that's efficient, right? And so focusing on solid business fundamentals, focusing on efficiencies um, and growth in that sense. Um, but yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I would say like the, the market, uh, you know, our industry as a whole has seen like three or four different black swan events, right? Like, and so it's just, um, it's a, it's a wild time to be an entrepreneur, but you know, wouldn't trade it. So I'm very excited to, to be here. Now, I would think, you know, you went deep into the world that you're building your business around. But obviously, this is something that could be leveraged across multiple areas like marketing, right? And sales. Like, so, uh, so do, you, do you have that future vision that you're thinking about? Or is it like, you know what, we just really need to focus on our current knitting? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a matter of when, not if, is how I would say it, right? And so, you know, we still have um, a lot to be done in kind of our current space, right? Becoming the, the generative AI platform of choice for customer support, period, point blank. Um, but at the same time, we do have this long-term vision, right, of being almost like the next Salesforce, but from the AI, uh, from the AI era. Like, what if Salesforce were born in the AI era? What would it look like? And we hope that that's that's what Forethought can become. So, whether that's in customer service, marketing, sales, IT service management, or HR, as we see as kind of like the big um, five areas, over a long time horizon, I think we can be that company. Um, and it's really a matter of patience, right? You know, you kind of act in years, think in decades is probably how I would think about it. Right. And so um, more to come, but you know, we have, we have plenty, uh, plenty ahead of us. All right. As far as working there, what's, what's the day-to-day -day culture like working at your company? Yeah. So in terms of forethought culture, um, I'm super excited and, and proud of the culture we've built. We have some people um, I would say everyone is focused on excellence, focused on being the best version of themselves, focused on creating the best outcome for our customers. Um, we're very customer obsessed uh, in short, right? Like as you kind of can tell from the the early days, it's always about not just building like the cool trinket or the cool research, but really about focused on what delivers value and delivers impact for our customers. And then at the same time, I would say um, you, you kind of have this combination of that with like, a, a strong degree of, of humility and grit, right? We're always constantly learning, always constantly teaching each other. You know, good ideas can come from anywhere. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO or an intern, right? Like at the end of the day, the goal is to solve the problem for our customers. Um, and, and and so I love that about our culture. Like you can focus on excellence, but there's, you know, just this, this real deep sense of, hey, we're growing together, we're learning together, and we're going to, you know, keep going. So if, if you're a, an applicant, and you're you know, interviewing at your company, do you have a favorite interview question that you use that like, kind of like, gets to the heart of, you know, qualifying <laughs> the person? Oh, I have a few, a uh, few that I that I throw out. Um, One question that I like, and this was actually I, I also learned this, but I, I remember it was on like the Y Combinator application form, but like, um, it's just, just walk me through what, what is the thing in your life that you're most proud of achieving? And just tell me that story. Um, because there's something interesting about that or, or, you know, variants of this, like, what's the hardest thing that you've, you've, you feel like you've accomplished in, in your life and tell me about that, but you can kind of see the passion, right? Like there's this, like when people just talk about the thing, it doesn't even have to be work-related. Sometimes it's like, 
I don't know. Oh, like on the side, I'm I'm a musician and like, or I'm a DJ or like whatever it is, or, you know, like we have some people who are, who are Olympic athletes, like whatever. Right. But there's always like some level of passion that comes out when you get somebody just like revved up on a thing. And then, and it's like, Oh, I'm allowed to talk about this. Like right now, or I'm not in interview mode. Well, let, let me tell you, right. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, um, it, it cuts at the heart of a few things, the passion grit, like oftentimes, you know, they say it takes 10,000 hours to, to become world-class at something. And oftentimes those 10,000 hours go under the surface, right? And so when you're talking to someone about work or whatever, answering a question, you don't really notice it until you let them just like, you know, go free a little bit. And you can see the grit, you can see the tenacity, you can see the humility it took. You can see all of that under the surface when they just start talking about the things they're passionate about. Um, and and I just love that. And so when you can kind of see that light spark in somebody's eyes, um, that's like a very strong sign for me. And I, I also, I'm often learning something because it's usually in a field I know nothing about. Um, and so I think that's like one of my my favorite go-to interview questions. All right, you've been successful in getting a lot of media coverage. I mean, we talked about TechCrunch Disrupt and how you prepare for that, but you know, Forbes 30 under 30, I mean, there's a whole laundry list of things that you've done. So uh, what advice would you have for founders on you know gaining access to media coverage? It's a great question. Um, I don't know if I have introspected enough to to have a, a, a commensurately great answer, but well, first thing I actually do say is one, focus on solving the problem. And it's like this weird thing that I'll just always say, it doesn't matter the hype. Look, I'm suddenly, you know, in this hot generative AI for customer support space. And you'd think that it's because it's hot that I'm in the space. No, I'm in the space because I genuinely saw a problem and it it like never left me. And I think regardless of anything, funding, hype, like focus on the problem you want to solve, obsess over who you're solving it for. And a lot will come. Like, I think that's just like goal number one. Um, uh, Then the second thing I would say though, is um, thinking a little bit about storytelling. I think storytelling is an art, Um, whether you are talking to fund fund, uh, investors, whether you're talking to the media, to potential customers, to recruits, storytelling, I think is an art and a science and, and actually practicing putting yourself out there, mastering the story. Um, I, I wrote a, a couple blog posts about how to fundraise um, uh, and I put them on LinkedIn. And the thing I talk about is literally how you treat it like a hero's journey story, right? And, and when you're telling a story, not only can you master having a hero's journey and, and all the elements of actual storytelling, but you, you have to be extremely astute at listening, weirdly enough. Like when I'm in an investor pitch or in a media pitch or whatever it is, like, and I tell a certain line, it's almost like a comedian. You're waiting, you're waiting to see how many laughs did I get on that one? Okay, cool. I'm going to modify it, change the delivery, right? Like you, you, storytelling is exactly like that. And so there's this art. And so that's probably the second thing I would say is just like practice that art when you deliver something, when you're in conversation, when you're over coffee meetings with, whether it's again, media or an investor, that is that is the pitch, you know? It doesn't matter if there's a deck up or not, practicing the storytelling, seeing, okay, did their ears perk up when I say this? All of that is built into that skill and art of storytelling. Um, and it, I think if you can get those two things right, solve a problem that people care about, um, be, you know, get good at storytelling, which is a, is a learnable skill. Um, and then, Honestly, yeah, a lot, a lot will follow from that. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with the storytelling piece. That's such a critical aspect of, um, you know, raising capital, customers, and hiring, right? And I just feel, I always feel like a lot of companies trip over that when it comes to the 
candidate experience and what it's the story, like why this company, what are they doing? Like, so that's such a piece of the you know part that we help solve. All right, three apps you can't live without. Ooh, um, okay, three apps should have, uh, well, things. Um, it's my to-do list app. Um, you can you can get it on Mac. I don't know if it's on Windows or whatever, but in the Mac app store, Things is probably the single best to-do list app I have ever used. It's very simple, but like you can kind of get powerful with it. And I'm not the most organized of people. So like I've tried like five different to-do list apps and they never work. So anyway, Things is probably one. Um, second app I can't live without. Um, probably uh, email in general. Um, I use Superhuman. So shout outs to them. Like it's a very, very powerful app right now. Oh, that's, that's boring. Spotify. <laughs> it's not boring i love spotify you know <laughs> like, i don't know if this is new it was new to me i'm like wait i'm the primary account because i have a family plan and because i'm the primary account holder I, I get 15 hours of like the audiobooks now i'm just like game on there That's we go amazing like that i'm yeah. just like they keep not that i'm looking to pay spotify more money but i feel like i get so <laughs> much value out of that monthly subscription like it's just it's such a great great product so um and the things app i'll have to check out because uh scott kershner who's a, a writer for the globe and he does lots of other things he just has this i think it was a tweet or something or maybe it was on linkedin where he said all to-do apps step one download to-do app step two load up to-do list with all your to-dos step three never open to-do list app again <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so me where i've like tried so many and i'm like Great, great intentions, build it out. And yes, never open it again. So I'll check out things. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I, I'm surprised right. that I'm still using it. I've been using it for years. So it's a testament. <laughs> All right, podcast or book recommendation for entrepreneurs? Ooh, oh, I now this, this I could go in on. Um, first, uh, how I built this, uh, Guy Raz, um, it just chronicles a lot of just like companies that you've heard of. And he goes deep on like that early, what did you actually do here? Don't give me the tech crunch, like, you know, uh, glossed over idea. What did you actually do? So love um, that podcast. Um, I used to listen to it like every single day on my commute to and from work when we still had commutes. Um, book recommendations, a few, uh, depending on your stage. So early on for entrepreneur, lean startup, it was overhyped once upon a time, but the principles are just golden. Um, hard thing about hard things as you, you know, get further along. Um Thinking Fast and Slow. It's not really an entrepreneurship book. It's actually more of a book on human psychology and decision-making, but highly recommend. Um, and then a weird one is uh, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. I actually find myself recommending that book far too often, um, but it's like 15 habits. It's it's all about like EQ. It's how to like get um, uh, emotionally aware of yourself so you can make better decisions. Um, anyway, so that's those are my my book recommendations. Excellent. All right. Outside of work, what do you like to do for fun? Um, I have a family. Uh, so love to hang out with my wife and our two kids. I, I don't know. You may have heard them running around during this uh, <laughs> during this uh, session. But um, so that means lots of playgrounds and, and six-year-olds birthday parties. Um, and then outside of fam, 
uh, love to play basketball. Um, that's like my one time. It's my only cardio time, really. Um, and then love music. So anything music, listening to it, um, like to sing. So I, I post songs every once in a while just for fun. And I'm learning the piano if that counts. But yeah, so basketball and music are my two like shut off and do nothing and just self-care time as they call it. Very, very cool. Well, Dion, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background story. Obviously, all the great stuff you and the team are up to at Forethought and all the great advice. Thank you, Keith. So excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me and uh, have a wonderful one.